Well, it's back to church Sunday, and uh, for some of you, you're looking at me going, oh, pastor's back to church, which is good, because I was uh, off for many, a good part of the summer and uh, having a great vacation and doing a wonderful thing, so it's good to be back. We're excited if you're here, and uh, maybe for some of you here tonight, today, sorry, is, uh, you, you know, you've, you've been invited by somebody to come back to church, and we're very thankful that you're here. You know, this is kind of a, it's both a national and an international event. It's happening both U.S. and Canada and in other parts of the world, Back to Church Sunday. Tens of thousands of churches are inviting people to come back to church, and it's great to really experience the nature of what God wants through the church, a place, an expression of love, of peace, of hope for our friends, our neighbors, our community, and our world. But how many of you know... um, not everybody has that experience when they go to church. Not this church. No, sometimes this church too. Do you understand? Sometimes people don't have a great experience when they come to church. And, you know, if we're honest, we haven't really experienced love sometimes or peace or hope when we go to church. And for that, I'm sorry, but I want you to be patient with me for just a couple minutes because uh, I want you to understand there's a reason for that because you know what? All these people that are gathered here today, none of them are perfect. And it's one of the reasons they're gathered here today is to connect back to God and to, uh, you know, start to grow and to learn in their life about how to have a relationship with God. And that's part of what it means to be together, to be together. You know, together is an interesting word in our world. Uh, It means this, this is actually the definition, with or in proximity to another person or to people. But how many of you know that even in a church this size, some 300 people maybe here today, uh, you, um, you can be in this room and you can feel utterly alone. Even with 300 people present here, you can feel utterly alone. You know, we're a world of 7 billion people. And, uh, you know, what's amazing about us is that many of us feel very much alone and isolated, even though there are so many people around us. I was reading uh, many articles about uh, loneliness because I wanted to talk about loneliness as kind of the intro to today. And as we're talking about being together, it seems strange to talk about loneliness. But I was reading an article in Forbes, not that I read Forbes for any other reason, but this was a great article. And uh, it was talking about loneliness and the U.S. Loneliness Index. Do you believe there's a U.S. Loneliness Index? Isn't that incredible? It says that Americans have reached epidemic levels of loneliness. And young Americans are the loneliest of all. Nearly half of the respondents said that sometimes or they always feel alone. You know, it's such an issue in our world today. Do you know that Great Britain actually uh, started a new office? Uh, They actually have a minister of loneliness. Now, not a minister like a gospel minister, but part of their their governmental structure. They have a guy whose job is the minister of loneliness trying to understand loneliness in our culture today and to see changes being made. Here's a quote from the article. It is one of the most widespread and debilitating obstacles people encounter and an issue that takes time to address. It is unique and specific kind of isolation and pain that is much different from depression. It's defined by not socializing as much as one would like and by the quality of one's relationships more than the quantity of them. 
the article goes on and it, it talks about how to cure loneliness or how to, how to help you when you're going through lonely times. And they're, and they're good things they said in the article. Things like get outside, get some exercise, stay busy. You know, uh, here's one, pick up the phone and, and phone someone. You know, I remember, uh, I'll tell you a little quick story. I was in Nipawin, Saskatchewan, preaching at a camp and I was in Tim Horton lineup uh, and uh, there was a senior behind me and he start, we started to talk, the two of us. And I said, well, let me buy you a coffee. And so I bought him a, co- a coffee. His name's Merv. And uh, so Merv, what's incredible about that is I thought that was the end of the story. But Merv, you know, I told him I was preaching at this certain camp. He got my information. The next thing I know, Merv is phoning me at home in Mournville. And Merv phones me probably once every two months. How are you doing? What's going on? Talk to me. And I'm telling you, it's no more than five minutes. But Merv is reaching out. Are you following me? In the midst of his loneliness, in the midst of his isolation, he's reaching out, and it's a privilege for now three years. Uh, Merv calls me probably once every two months. And my wife and I went last year to Nipawin, and we actually met Merv. We took him out for dinner, and uh, so now she's sending him gifts. And it's like crazy. Merv is just uh, kind of part of our family, so it's wonderful. Isn't that awesome? So, so pick up the phone. Phone someone. Manage your screen time. That's interesting. Many people have connected via social media, dating apps, and even texting as a meaningful way of communicating. And though it is efficient, it is a superficial way in which to communicate. And think about adopting a pet. There you go. You can all go and adopt a cat. And I have three that I can give away, at least two of them, if you <laughs> need. That's a long story. We won't get into why I have three cats in my house. God is funny. Um, But here's the problem with Forbes magazine. They haven't gotten to the root of the problem with loneliness. Mother Teresa said this, the greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. Wow. You see, God has brought us together here today uh, to realize that we are more together as mankind than we can possibly imagine. You see, the Bible has a deeper meaning for the word together, and that's what I want to get to now. The Bible actually talks about, you know, scriptures like this, all through the Bible, it talks about being together. For it says, where two or three are gathered in my name, and that word is together, meeting together, as my followers, I'm there among them. And the word together in the, in the New Testament and, and part of the Old, and the Old Testament as well, it means union. It denotes a close, a deep connection of togetherness. It means one in association and companionship and process. I love this definition. It is completeness together throughout the process. That's what the Bible means by together. Completeness together throughout the process. So in what ways are you and I in this room more connected than we could possibly realize? In what ways are we connected? In what ways are we together even though we might feel alone? In what ways is God saying all of you are uniquely connected in this way? And here's the first one. We're together and that we're created in the image of God. All mankind is created in the image of God. 
You are image bearers. You bear the image of the living God. You know, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said it is good. He created the birds, and he created the mountains, and he created the streams, and he said it is good. He created all the animals and all the night and the day. He created all these things. He said it's good, it's good, it's good. But then on the seventh day, he created, or sixth day, sorry, he created mankind. He created man and woman. And he said something different. He said it is very good. You see, we are God's unique and special creation, and, 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 and I want you to understand that, that that gives you a special place in the heart of God and the mind of God. You're created in his image. Every single human being you meet is an image bearer of God. You see, in God's image, we think and feel. In God's image, we are self-aware and aware of our environment. We have the power to create. We have the power to manage. We have free will and the power to choose between alternatives we're created in the image of God. But mankind is also together in that we're created with an incredible purpose. And uh, in the beginning of time, we were created to manage this place called the Garden of Eden. And we're created there. And God says, I want you to manage this. I want you to, to, uh, I want you to have dominion over it. I want you to set it in order and keep it in order. And that word dominion, you know, that's another thing that makes us unique and connected is that God created us to have dominion, but not so much dominion over others but dominion over ourself for the sake of others. So we're created in God's image in order to, to be not only image bearers, but to have that incredible purpose lived out in our lives. You see, humanity is mentally like God. We're created with the ability to reason and make choices. We're not God, but we're created like him. Morally, Man was created in righteousness and perfect innocence, a reflection of God's wholeness. And socially, man was created for fellowship with God and with one another. And that's the second reason that we are together here today. Here it is. We are together in that we desire relationships like God does. You see, we're created for relationship. You're, you're actually created. You crave, you long for intimacy, for relationship you know, it's interesting, God is a relational God. He's the one in the Bible, and it says, he says, uh, let us make man in our image. Well, who is us, and who is our? If God is one, and that's what Christians believe, we, there's one God, but why is he talking about us and our? You know, the Bible gives us this mystery and unfolds it and he talks about God though he is one he is three persons he is the father the son and the holy spirit now i can't explain that because for 2000 years theologians have tried to explain that and they're still arguing about what it means you know we're trying to wrap god into our bubble wrap and figure him out but sometimes he just is beyond us even comprehension but what i want to hit the point i want to hit today is that god is so connected relationally he's so similar in terms of values in terms of heart and intention that these three the father the son and the holy spirit are so connected that they actually say we are one that's the goal he's saying this is the intimacy this is the relationship that i am offering to mankind to pull them into that trinitarian nature of god and to say god wants us to experience relationship way deeper than we are in our world today which is incredible 
not only they want to have a relationship with, with, uh, with God, but he wants us to have a relationship with one another. Listen to what it says in Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now follow me here. This is before any problems in the world. God created everything and he looked at us and he said, man, it's not good for you to be alone. Now this isn't so much talking about husband and wife or male and female. It's talking about relationship. Though in this context, it's talking about male and female. It's talking about relationship. You see, we're not created to be alone. We are created to be together, to do life together with one another, and ultimately with God. So in this room so far, we've learned that we are together in that we're created in the image of God. We're together in that we long for and we're made for these intimate, awesome relationships. But there's a third thing that we're together on, and here it is. We are together in that something has gone wrong with God's original intention. We all hopefully know the story of Adam and Eve, and if you don't, then I'll tell you a little bit about it. Adam and Eve were, of course, the first man and the first woman, and they're on the planet Earth, and everything's great. They're in this relationship with one another. They're in a relationship with God. You know, as a matter of fact, they're healthy and they're whole, and they're one with themselves. The Bible says they were naked, but they felt no shame. What that's talking about is that they were, they were vulnerable, they were open, they were, there was nothing hidden. And they felt no shame. So there's this original intention of God. They're one with their environment. You know, they're just caring for the garden. The Garden of Eden is this beautiful place, and God's intention and heart was that Garden of Eden. He said, be fruitful and multiply. The heart and intention of God was that God wanted that garden to grow across the entire earth. He wanted there to be intimacy, relationship, connection with you and I. This was God's heart and mind. And they were also one with God, one with themselves, one with their environment, one with God. They were at peace. They were whole. Everything was good. So what went wrong? We got disconnected. They got disconnected from God's original intention. Really, the simplest way to say it is they, mankind tried to write their story without God. They didn't realize that they were uniquely created, kind of like a fish needs water. They needed a relationship with God in order to breathe <laughs> in that sense. They tried to write their own story without God. We won't get into all the details of that, but they chose their path over God's path. They tried to create their own story, and it created all kinds of pain and all kinds of problems. And the Bible says this word called sin entered into the picture. And you're thinking, oh, here we go, pastor's talking about sin. Well, let me make it really simple. Uh, sin is not about pointing at you and pointing at me and all the things we do wrong. It's very, very simple. Here it is. Sin, the essence of sin, is when I am self-centered rather than God-centered. That's the essence of sin, if you want to understand it. As a matter of fact, the Greeks uh, in Latin had a word. It was called incurvitis in and say. It means curved in on self. That's how they define sin. When sin was something that they became curved in upon themselves. And, and you think, well, that's not such a bad thing to be self-centered. You know, that's okay. Self-centered is okay. But understand something. When seven billion people 
have a center that is self-centered rather than God-centered, they're not moving from the same center. They're all going in different directions. And that does not create the peace that God wants when 7 billion people try to live out of their own center. We know that everything became a mess in the original story. They became ashamed and fearful. They hid from God. They covered up and hid from one another. They blamed and complained, and, and especially the men. And, uh, you know, of course, what does Adam do? We know this one from, you know, the woman you put here with me did this. And, and isn't that our world today? Kind of blaming and complaining. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. Rather than opening up and saying, you know, there's a problem with my life. There's something disconnecting from the original heart and intention of God. But no, no, no. I just want to blame. I want to point at that. I don't want any eyes on me because I'm so alone. I'm so disconnected from my purpose and the intent that God has for my life. So what do we do now? Our image has become marred. <laughs> We're disjointed, discombobulated, distant, disconnected. We are together yet utterly alone. Our purpose gets twisted. Instead of taking dominion over myself to serve you, I try to take dominion over you to serve me. That's our world today. We've misplaced our purpose in this world, and we know finally our relationships are broken. We hide and cover, we blame, we point the eyes off our true selves. So what do we do? What do we do about it? Wrong question. <laughs> if you could do something about it, you would have done it a long time ago. You can't do anything about it, but God did something about it. God did something. Let me read you a couple scriptures that speak for themselves about what God did to fix the problem that we created. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I love this one Romans 8:3 and 4 from the message bible. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Wow. That's pretty good. So why did God send his son into this world? He sent his son into this world. Remember the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Christ emptied himself of his deity, and he became a man. He lived as a man. He came to this world and lived among us and lived as a man in order to save us from ourselves and from our brokenness. That's why God gave. He went for the jugular, as we read. He sent his son into this world, into our suffering, into our brokenness, to lead us back into a relationship with ourselves, with others, to bring us back on purpose and to transform our lives so that we can be image bearers to a greater degree. Why does this church exist? We say the Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God. That's it. That's our job. That's why we're here. That's why we meet 
That's why we invited you today. Because we're not trying to get you to come home to a church. We're not trying to get you to come home to a religion. We're trying to get you to come home to God. Because everybody in this room has made that decision to come home to God. This is who we are. We're a group group of broken and lost people who were disconnected from God, ourselves and others, who've come back into relationship with God through asking him to come into our lives. See, at the beginning, I told you, even at church, you can still get hurt and some things can still go wrong. Why? Because we're still learning. We're still growing together. We're in this together. You know, part of our values as a church, we say, you know, that I accept you and you accept me while we pursue maturity together. You know, why do you go to care groups? Why do you come to church? Why do you get connected? Why? Because you're growing together. You're coming back into God's original intention for you. You're coming back to become the image bearer God always saw you as. Even though that image is marred, even though that image is broken, even though that image isn't exactly as God wants it to be, you're growing together with those that are in this room. That's church. That's why we're here. It's amazing. Let me read you another scripture, and it's self-evident, again, as I read it. That's why I'm picking these certain scriptures. In the Bible, it's Romans 8. It says, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. You're not coming here for religious duty, leading you back into fear and never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, unfolding you into the family of God so that you never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are my beloved child. Wow. That's who we are. Jesus came to show us what life would be like If we would walk with God, he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He never disconnected from his center. He constantly lived from having a center that was centered on God. He said, I've come to do your will, God, not my will. Not my will be done even going to the cross, but your will be done, God. And he showed us what perfect humanity really would look like. And he invited us into the process of moving together toward that isn't that amazing you see when you invite christ into your life he comes in by the power of your of the holy spirit and you are never alone you're never alone you see this is god's solution to loneliness in our world is that you can have a relationship with him and with fellow believers who have a relationship with him now does that mean that you're never going to be lonely as a christian No, sometimes you still will. Why? Because you're still growing and you're still becoming. You're still becoming what God intended you to be. You know, even as a believer, there are times of deep loneliness that can strike you. And what we're meant to do is to go to God. Jesus, he actually would get alone to be with God. We're trying to avoid loneliness and so we don't get alone. But Jesus got alone because he knew that was the place where loneliness was taken care of. I can say that in my life, even as a believer, there have been times when I've gotten really lonely. And I'll tell you an example of one. Um, Several years ago, about nine years ago, I was diagnosed with MS. 
And so I began a pursuit uh, of just passionately pursuing healing. And because uh, I believe God's a healer. I've seen God heal. I've seen God do miracles many times. And so, God, it's not your will that I have this. So I began to pursue God passionately for healing. But what I'd made a mistake on was this. I pursued the healing instead of pursuing God. And so what ended up happening was I became very disappointed and disillusioned and disjointed. And I'm like, God, what is wrong? You know, you're supposed to be good, good father. You're, what, what are you doing? And so I became lonely, even though I had this incredible relationship with God and his people. Because I was seeking a wrong center. Does that make sense? And, and I think for some of you here today, you know, it wasn't until I got absolutely real with God then suddenly I found him again. He was never lost. But when I became very real with him about how I was feeling and what I was going through, you know, and I think we go through tragedies and sufferings in this life. We go through loss and we go through brokenness. And you know what we do? We incurvitis and say, we try to fix it ourselves. We curve inward. You'll never be the solution. All you can do is reach your hands up to God and say, God, I'm lonely. God, I lost a loved one. God, I have been disappointed by people in the church. God, pastor hurt me when he said that. It doesn't matter what it is, okay? Because if you're here long enough, I will say something that will hurt your feelings. What's the solution? Come to God. Can I give you a, a challenge today? Invite God into your loneliness and watch what he does. Just be that real. Be that real. God, I am broken, disconnected. I'm still growing and I'm still learning. Oh my. You see, we're not quite all the way home yet. <laughs> this is just the staging ground. This is the stopping point before the final launch to get home to heaven. It's this place, and it's why we gather together together here as people seeking to see God, to grow in our relationship with Him, with one another, to be made whole again. That's who we are. And I want to just share a quick video. You see, when Jesus comes into your life and you invite Him into your life, this is just kind of a quick little video that talks about what actually happens, even though you're trying to play, you know, you're trying to play your story in life, and it's just you're making a mess of it. He comes alongside, and he's kind of the pinch hitter that steps into your, your ball diamond of your life. And uh, it's a good thing. Let's watch this video together. Encouragement, pass it on. I love how the wife says, go get him. <laughs> like, the woman you put here. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> it's like, but isn't that God? We stumble onto the stage of life. Everyone's watching us. We're trying to play chopsticks, and it's a disaster. And he comes right behind us and he says, keep playing. You're doing okay. And he fills in and he, and he just becomes, that's, that's a relationship that God wants to have with every single human being. It's beautiful. It's awesome. You see, we are together. We want to have a relationship with God. I remember reading a story about a king and I, I, I won't give you the details as to where it was, but he decided, uh, this was back in the 1600s, he decided he was going to visit 
they had a furnace system set up, kind of heating in the basement of the palace. And there was a man whose whole job was to just stoke the furnace with coal. And so this was an ancient heating system they had developed in this, in this palace. And so he decided he was going to visit this man, but he put on a disguise and he went down into the furnace room. And here was this man all alone, just shoveling coal. And uh, once or twice a week, the man would go and visit him. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know he was the king. And he would sit and talk with him about his life and talk with him about what it was like being alone down there. And, and uh, every day he would, or a couple times a week, he was shoveling that coal and the man was visiting him for like an hour. After several months, finally the king said, I'm actually your king. And I have the power to give you anything you want. I can take you out of this place. And the man's response was very interesting because he says, my king, I ask nothing of you except your friendship. You see, that's what Jesus is offering us. He's the king that came down and put on pauper's clothing in order to connect with you and I. And he's offering us that relationship, which is awesome and incredible. See, church, we're together in that we're created in the image of God. We're together in that we were created to live in this incredible relationship with God and one another. We're together in that something has gone terribly wrong, but we have a last together that we're being offered, and it's this, that we can be together with God because God wants to enter back into your story. Even though we as mankind disconnected from his story, disconnected from his plan and his purpose, he comes along and he offers us and he says, will you come back into my story? Will you accept my son? I sent him for you. Will you do that? And I, I hear an argument maybe from somebody saying, you don't understand. There's some things that I need to change in order to come back. I think there's one more scripture. We're just going to leave that last scripture off. I'm going to tell you a story. There's nothing that you need to change before coming back to God. This is a story of a guy named John Newton. Some of you have heard it before. Many of you haven't. John Newton was on the British freighter back in the late 1600s, basically early 1600s, the British freighter called the Greyhound. And the Greyhound was in rough seas. He was a, he was a, a sailor on that ship. And uh, the planks began to give away in the wooden boat, uh, Shorey's ship, and, uh, and water began to pour in. And it began, began to you know, just become swamped. And they were, the sailors were working frantically to pump out the water while waves kept coming in. They were stuffing rags. and the, They were trying everything to do, but they thought we were going down. We're not going to make it out of this storm. And at one point... Uh, Newton said to the captain, he says, if this will not work, may God have mercy on us. And it struck him that he was asking God for mercy. You see, the story of Newton is very interesting. He, he was a very vile man. Before working on the Greyhound, he worked on slave trading ships that were going from Africa to, to England. And he was a vile person. He actually said in his own memoirs that I was never in the company of a man for longer than an hour without trying to corrupt him. He would regularly take slaves that were suffocating and starving and have his way with them from, from the hold of the ships. He was a vile man. And here he was asking God 
for mercy. Well, the greyhound limped into Liverpool later the next day, and Newton was astonished that he had been spared. And finally, a glimmer of faith came into his heart that maybe God could forgive even him. He became a minister, actually, a beloved minister in England. And he was actually one of the key members that uh, led to the abolition of slavery in England, which was incredible. But we know him better as the man who wrote Amazing Grace. <laughs> How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. That's the invitation that God has for all of us. You see, Newton couldn't fix himself. He couldn't incurvite us and say. He couldn't turn inward to find the solution. All he could do is lift his hands upward and receive the amazing grace of God. That's who's in this room today. That's what you're invited into. That's why we invited you to church today. To come home to God. I'm going to ask the band just to come back. We're going to spend a couple minutes. Let's just sing that song. The oldie but the goodie that you played. Holly, can you do that one for us? Let's just stay in the presence of God for just a couple more minutes here. Then we're going to let you go and eat more donuts. I know there was a serious donut crash. You all had donuts when you came in, and everybody was so excited, and then suddenly there's like weeping because now the donut, the sugar's worn off, and... and uh, <laughs> It's not keto, those donuts. That's all I can tell you. They're not keto donuts. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you're just saying, go ahead and play, Michaela. You're just saying, uh, I feel lonely. I'm in a crowded room with people. I feel lonely. And we've had a call for this several times, but I, I wanted you to hear the word of the Lord today. You're not alone. God is longing to have a relationship with you. God is longing to come back into relationship with you. But if you're here today and you've already asked God in your heart, but maybe you're dealing with a loss, you're dealing with some part of your life that's broken, and you're just saying, I just need to bring God into my loneliness. If that's you, just raise your hand. Raise it up. Yeah, lots of us raise our hands. Thank you, Jesus, for all these wonderful people that are saying yes to you, inviting you back into their loneliness. And Lord, I pray for all of us that are gathered here today. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I've never accepted God into my life. I've never given him my heart. I've never just said, God, would you please help me? 
come into my life. You can't do it on your own. Stop trying to fix yourself. God is here to help you. If that's you here today and you're saying, I need to ask God to come into my heart. I need to give him my heart. Just raise your hand. We want to pray with you. Don't be afraid. I was in a church like this eight days before my 21st birthday at my sister-in-law's baptism when the pastor asked me if I wanted to give my life to God. And it felt like the weight of the world was on my arm and I couldn't lift it. But finally, when I got it in the air and lifted it up, it was like the weight of the world came off of me. But everything was trying to keep my arm down. But if you're here today and you're saying, I need to give my life to God, my heart, all my problems, my pain, I need to invite him in. If that's you, I'm going to ask one more time. That's it. Just raise your hand and wave at me. You are not alone. Don't leave alone. Know that you can always invite God into your situation and into your life. Amen.